Sandman Legal Services is the nation's only law firm dedicated to the needs of medical expert witnesses and consultants. Its founder and principal, Dan Sandman Esquire, was on the show in August and gave a super engaging interview with such useful information that I had to have him back. In the last interview, which you should definitely check out, he gave an overview of the business of being a medical expert witness, and in this episode, we get more granular. We talk about retainer agreements, which are the contracts between you and the law firm employing you. This has to come from you. We also talk about errors and omissions insurance, and we scratch the surface on advertising. Dan has been a licensed attorney for nearly 20 years. For nearly eight years, Dan led a leading medical expert witness and consulting agency, American Medical Forensic Specialists, helming the company as president for five years and seeing it successfully through two acquisitions, the pandemic, and exponential growth. Dan started Sandlin Legal Services in February of 2022, where he combines his legal expertise and medical expert witness industry knowledge in providing legal and consulting services to the medical expert witness community. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Dan Sandman, welcome back to the podcast. I missed you. Hey, Brad, great to see you. Thanks so much for having me back. It's great to be here. A ton of useful information. Got a lot of positive feedback from the audience on the last one. So, you know, had to have you back and and had to have you back soon. Because now, you you know, the idea is we're now getting some bites, right? We got got some work because of all your previous advice. We got some work coming in (laughs) for for some expert witness work. So now we got to make sure that we you know, we really set up a legitimate business here. Right. So, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's great. Uh, that's great. That's great. So let's start with retainer agreements. Um, sure. So, so my understanding of a retainer, I mean, we're going to really have to take a step back here because my understanding sure. of a retainer agreement is just like, I give you a lump sum of money at the beginning and then you, that's the retainer. And mm-hmm. then you take money from there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything else about what a retainer agreement is. So what, let's start off with what is a retainer? Well, first of all, I love your definition because if you'd like to give me a lump sum of money and I can just (laughs) rock and roll, you know, no, but even, even on that, all kidding aside, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I can't really joke about that, but uh, my retainer agreements are very specific and everything goes into a trust account on my end, but that's a whole nother story. So um, retainer agreement, another term for that is the expert witness contract. And in essence, the retainer are the funds that the uh, client pays the expert witness up front to start off the engagement. And typically what uh, is done then is that the retainer is billed against by the expert until it is uh, needs to be replenished or the expert decides to bill on an accounts receivable, accounts receivable basis. Try saying that 10 times fast. So um really important for uh experts who have been doing this for a while medical experts healthcare experts been doing this for a while who aren't working with retainer agreements expert witness contracts and those entering into the space to have one i mean it's the foundation of the engagement between the law firm insurance company and the expert and it's going to set out the terms of that engagement 
and should have some very important business points and legal points in it to set out exactly how that engagement is going to go and to protect the expert as well in how they're performing their duties and whatnot and in case they might get sued. So I was under the impression that if you're going to be basically working for the law firm, right, mm -hmm. they would provide you with a contract. So how is a, a contract with the terms of an agreement different from a retainer agreement that you're so providing some, to them? Sure. Some law firms will do that. In most cases, when the engagement is between the law firm and the expert witness, you as the expert witness who's running your own expert witness business because you're working for yourself, essentially, you want to control that situation. You want to use your retainer agreement. And in most cases, most law firms will understand that dynamic. There are situations, uh, especially if you might be retained by a white shoe law firm, a top 100 law firm, where they're going to send you an engagement letter and ask you to sign that. My advice to clients is always to work with your own retainer agreement, because hopefully, uh, since it's your agreement, you understand the business terms, and the legal terms that are in it. That's really, really important. Uh, part of what I do with clients is use the retainer agreement drafting process as, for lack of a better term, an educational opportunity. Uh, we'll go through uh, how an expert wants to run their business, what are important business terms to them. Uh, I'll then give advice as to how those business terms would actually uh, you know, come into play in the course of an expert witness engagement. And then we'll figure out a way together of how to integrate those terms into a legal document that, again, sets the foundation for what that engagement is going to be about going forward. Great. So it sounds like we can just download it off LegalZoom or something like that, right? No, I would not do that. I would not do that. You know, Google if you can down retainer huh? agreement. Just yeah. I'm sure there's a PDF out there. Someone's got it in their Google Drive. Put it on Twitter. We'll all use the same one. I really wish I really wish uh you wouldn't do that. And okay. I'll tell you why. Because nine times out of ten, when you download something off the internet, okay, you're really not going to understand what that's about. It's not specific to how you want to run your business. And frankly, uh, as a non-lawyer, really not going to understand, just as I wouldn't as a, as a non-physician, certain professional practice points, you're really not going to understand the implication of the legal terms, especially within that document. You put yourself at risk for really not taking the steps to set up your business how you want it and being able to understand how things uh, work in the context of your business. When you take a document off the internet, you're taking just some generic whatever document just to be there. And it's not gonna reflect specific business practices you wanna utilize. It's not gonna reflect uh, practice points that will allow you to avoid uh, big problems that often come up within the context of medical expert witnessing. And it's not going to take into account specific uh, business points that you want in the agreement. So I really think it's important for 
uh, medical experts, healthcare experts, whoever it may be, to work with a lawyer. It doesn't have to be me, but I'd love it if you did. Um, but to work with a lawyer who is familiar with expert witness contracts. There are a number of lawyers out there who do this, not exclusively, uh, but they do do it. Have it reviewed, have it explained to you, make sure that you understand what's going on and you'll be in a much better place to have a much more successful expert witness engagement. Yeah, my experience anytime, you know, I've had any type of a contract that I needed reviewed by a lawyer, yeah, they, they'll blow through like the first bunch of pages and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is all boilerplate stuff. You can't change this, 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 this is okay here. Now you see this line. Now we're on page 15. Oh, oh, you're already <laughs> on page 15. Okay, great line. Right. Like the, to us, to me, I'd be like pouring over every word and line, not understanding any of it, but doing my best. And that, you know, you can see this stuff and you see this language all day. And it, you know, it, it, it makes, it makes sense. You know, it was, it was clearly for the audience. I was joking. Uh, downloading it. It's not my recommendation. <laughs> Lampooning the fact. Yeah, but you know what? It's it's great that you brought it up because a lot of people are doing that. Yeah. And then then they're calling me and or others and they're saying, what do I do? This happened and I got it from this organization and I'm in this situation and how do I get out of it? And, um, you know, we kind of have to reverse engineer those situations and that can be done, but it's better to have have your own agreement drafted at the outset, and then you're ready to rock and roll. So without giving away too much, what are some of the things that are most important to, you know, just one or two things that are really important to have in the retainer agreement? Okay. What if I gave you three or four? Okay, what I, fine. <laughs> what if I gave it all away um, so you could almost come to the point to do it yourself? So obviously payment terms are really important, Okay. It's a contract. Maybe obviously is the wrong word, and I'll tell you why. Because there's some people who think that all the payment terms and all the billing rates should be in the fee schedule, okay? And the fee schedule typically comes at the end of the contract as an attachment or as an addendum, okay? Or they just want to work with a fee schedule, but there's no legal terms in the fee schedule. And that creates a lot of problems. Now, I told you before we got on here, I didn't want to start sounding like a law professor because I want people to get more out of their skulls with this. But the, the truth of the matter is that the billing rates and the payment terms need to be in the contract. They should also be in the fee schedule, but also in the contract. If for no other reason that if somebody loses that back page of the fee schedule that's uh, attached to the contract, then you know what is going on. Uh, I've actually seen this happen. So that's an easy one. Uh, it's also really, really important to make sure that there are certain business terms in that contract that address situations that often come up. And those situations come up in the context of a deposition and in the context of a motion that can be made to the court to reduce an expert's fees, okay? These things can happen. No matter what, make sure that there is language to the effect that the client is always responsible for paying the expert's fees. Well, again, that may seem obvious, but very often in local practice in various jurisdictions, if you go for a deposition, all right, the opposing counsel often will pay 
the expert for the deposition. All right. Well, what if the opposing counsel writes you a check that bounces? What if the opposing counsel writes you a check that ultimately uh, does not cover all the time you sat for the deposition and they don't want to cough up any more? You need to make sure that the law firm that retained you understands that they are responsible for paying your fees at the end of the day. Okay. You as the expert do not want to be put in a position where you have to chase a party that you have no privity with, no privity of contract with, no relationship with, to try and get those fees paid. It creates a big problem. So those are important things to, to remember. Also legal terms, you've heard of indemnity clauses, you've heard of limits of, uh, limits of liability. I always like to put into a contract uh, for expert witnesses that their liability is limited so that even if you do have insurance, the liability is such that the most that could be recovered is within a closed universe. Usually that closed universe is the amount of money that's been paid to you by your client if you're sued. And then the indemnity agreement is really important. They, sorry, um, they would agree to that? I, I've put it in every contract I've ever done. So basically, yeah. like you can only sue me to get your fees back if you think I screwed this up for you. That's a good way of putting it. I like that. I thought, right, well, that's what's happening, right? They're gonna, they're if you if you screw up in such a way that loses them the case, they could come after you. And we're gonna actually get get to this, right? Because we're gonna be talking about you know insurance. Sure. Um, but you can put it in the contract that they can only come after you for the amount that they've paid you and no more. You can do that now when you're you. You can do that. And then you don't need the insurance. Well, hold on. Okay. I have done that thousands of times with thousands of engagements. And I can only count on, you know, one hand at a time that has come up as a question. Hmm. You know, if it does come up as a question, and if you have a, an expert witness engagement agreement that terms are questioned, one of the pluses of working with the lawyer in the process of drafting that is that you understand it. So if certain things have to be negotiated, they can be, okay? And sometimes that does have to happen. And you can go back to your lawyer and say, hey, look, you know, there's these issues that came up. Um, what's the answer here? What's a fair compromise? And you can work those things out pretty, pretty quickly. So these are standard terms. Indemnity is really important, in fact, um, you know, as we sort of transition into E&O insurance, errors and omissions insurance in a little bit, I'll talk to you about the estate of Greco case. Um, yeah, it won't be a test on it, but the estate of Greco case, for those who think that expert witnesses can't be sued, and this, in this case they were, uh, the expert witness was sued, and it's extremely important, it's extremely important to have an indemnity provision. And why is that important? In the state of Greco, what happened is that the agency that matched the expert with the plaintiff law firm was sued, okay, all right, by the plaintiff. The agency was sued by the plaintiff, and then the agency was all, or then the actual expert was also sued. So it's really important to have that indemnity agreement there where to protect yourself as well. And there's different ways to draw indemnity agreements. I'm not going to get into all the specifics here, but if you have 
an indemnity agreement. It's going to help mitigate your exposure. Uh, and it's also going to make your insurance company very, very happy if you have one. So what happened in the state of Greco is, is really sort of a, a surprise case because it wound up in the district court and there was an opinion written about it and published. And it sort of brought to the forefront, it's a 2021 case, the fact that experts can get sued. They can. And it makes all the sense in the world to have that errors and omissions policy just in case. Just in case. Okay. So. Want to unpack that? <laughs> well, but if you, okay, so now you're saying you're being sued by the, by the law, by the party that you weren't working for correct so you so in that case they were sued by the plaintiff but was the expert working for the plaintiff? working for the plaintiff yes oh was working for the plaintiff yeah. so then so then but if you include in your retainer that they can only sue you for x amount they can how can they sue you for more because they well in this case to... that that term wasn't in there that, that wasn't in there wasn't okay there. but right. but it seems to me that you've found a way to avoid having to pay for E&O insurance. Well, you know what? Um, every scenario uh, does not necessarily have the same outcome. Okay? okay. Every set of facts is different. And every state has different interpretations of the application of certain terms in contracts. And one of the difficult things in expert witness work is that an expert witness has to have a contract that is going to pass mustard in most jurisdictions, all right? You're not gonna go and draft an agreement for all 50 states. You have to have something that takes into context certain, context, certain business uh, situations that may come up, but also certain general legal terms. And there are those situations where certain claims can get around terms and contracts. Now, I can't list them all out for you. It has happened. And that's why it's so important to have the E&O insurance as a backstop, okay? So back to Google, right? Like, I'm just going to Google E&O insurance. Maybe take the cheapest one. Maybe take the second cheapest one. So I don't have the cheapest one, right? <laughs> but... But but what am I looking for in these policies? Is there anything that you think like absolutely critical or, you know, superfluous stuff that we don't necessarily need? Sure. Um, first of all, cost is is something to, to really consider. And in most cases, uh, expert witness, uh, E&O policy, I see priced on an annual basis anywhere from $1,500 to $5,000 a year annual premium. So it's really not super expensive, okay? Especially in consider that many experts are charging between $500 and $1,000 an hour, going to make the cost of that policy, the premium back pretty quickly and have it as a have it as something just in case that's there and it's going to buy you a lot of peace of mind. Now, I've had a couple situations come up because you asked me what should be in there and what isn't and, and you know what's important. I've had a couple situations come up in the last few weeks that were really surprising to me. And that specifically involved medical expert witnesses that uh, do IMEs and also do expert witness work in malpractice cases and whatnot. And in a number of these cases, uh, the experts had expert witness insurance for forensic expert work 
that's another term for the, for the type of work that's done in, in medical legal cases. Forensic medicine is sort of an old term. Um, and the term specified, and the policy specified that they would be covered for expert witness. They asked me to review their policies. That's something that I, that I do for my clients. And in some situations, these doctors uh, were doing IMEs, but their policies did not cover independent medical examinations. Whoa. And it's very easy, uh, really, to not know that. Um, if you don't read your policy, and even if you do, they can be really tough to understand. Uh, it, it, you can really wind up in a, in, a, in a pickle there. So my advice is to work with a broker. There are some great online insurance op um, options out there where you can you know, just plug your information in, buy Burke or Hiscox or whatever it is. I know plenty of people who have used them for more traditional types of businesses, but when you're in the expert witness field and you're doing this type of work, there is sort of a closed universe of companies that really provide good coverage. I, I don't want to mention all of them here because I, I don't want to make endorsements and things like that. And I consult confidentially with my clients on those topics, but it's so important to work with a broker. Take the time to talk to a trusted broker and most doctors have brokers that they've worked with, no insurance brokers, take time to talk with that broker so they can take the request for insurance to market and find the best possible policies and present two or three options rather than being boxed into one. And again, if you're a doctor that does IMEs and you do that on your own, make sure that your policy has coverage for IMEs. Now, the other thing is, is that in certain situations, uh, a doctor's medical malpractice coverage will include some coverage for expert witness work and IMEs. So that's a good place to check first, but in many cases they don't. So it's always better to work with a broker. There's maybe a small commission. It's not gonna be significant. You get much better service and the results will be a lot better in terms of the policies you have to choose from. Well, starting the business of expert witness work now seems a whole lot more complicated than uh, previously described, uh, not by you and not by, you know, Dr. Amy Fogelman, who we had on the show a while ago. But, you know, sometimes I'll hear about partners or other people that review cases and it just seems like, yeah, I, I reviewed the case and they gave me a bucket of money. Mm -hmm. So you're making it seem a whole lot more complicated and 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 rightly so, and rightly so. Um, so this is this is the the bones of the business that you're mm -hmm. trying to build, right? This is the structure sure. of the business. The predicament that I'm in right now is, you know, our, during our last interview, you had mentioned a, a bunch of different companies with where you could put your name on their website, and people could find you. And I was expecting just daily emails of people willing to pay me buckets of money for things that I have <laughs> maybe a little bit of experience no. looking, looking for my expertise. So um, unfortunately that hasn't happened. So mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about, you know, finding more business, you know, advertising myself or just finding more websites or services, you know, they're like matching services out there. So, 
what would you recommend I do next? Aside okay. from, you know, what we talked about last time. Absolutely. So look, there are a lot of doctors who are entering into the space right now. A lot of doctors. And this is a great time to be a, a, a doctor who or a healthcare provider who wants to get into the medical expert witness space. If you've sent your CV to some of these uh, companies that I mentioned the last time, and I mentioned three of them, there's a whole slew of them out there, and you haven't heard anything back, give them a call. Reach out. The squeaky wheel can sometimes get the grease. And, uh, you know, you call up, ask to speak with the, the representative who's in charge of expert relations, introduce yourself, take the time to do that, uh, you know, really take it as an opportunity to, to, to learn how you can help them um, and how they can help you. It's one of those situations where uh, very often there can be a 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 CVs that are submitted to an expert witness firm, and they're trying to vet them all. And at the same time, that staff is trying to match experts with the uh, you know, clients they already have requests for. So sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing to do. If you make that phone call, um, I think it can go a long way. I think it can go a long way. And, you know, I wouldn't say, hey, I sent my, my CV and how come you haven't called me? You know, I think it's more like, <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm Dr. Block. I'm the NTA. I sent in my CV. I'm very interested in, in working with you. would love to know how I can help you and be a resource for you and your clients. And would love to talk about my credentials, answer any questions you have. How can I get more cases? Uh, so I know you sent your CV into at least three. There's a lot more out there. There are many more companies out there. And sometimes uh, you need to spread yourself around a little bit to let the companies know that you're out there. And the other thing is advertising. You know, advertising is really a big, big issue in the medical expert witness world, okay? It's a big, big issue. We talked about agencies. We talked about last time some of the uh, list services like Juris Pro and Seek, and you may have done that, and there's thousands of doctors on there, and how do you stand out on Juris Pro and Seek? And Juris Pro and Seek are probably the best position folks to tell you how to do that, and they have different they, levels. They told of, me. They, pay us they, more they money. The, yeah, there you they go. Did. They said, I pay said, us more money. Level. Yeah, they have, if you want gold status, top you doctor, go. <laughs> you got to pay us for it, right? Really, that's, I mean, when you say advertising, is, is that what you mean? Because that's I had another yeah. place that was similar to Seek. I don't remember the name of it. You know, I don't want to give them airtime. But uh, just, you know, they were like, if you pay us, we'll put you on our list. Yeah. And, you know, but whereas the others were not, charging so seek you know i there's only so much money i'm willing to spend if i'm getting no business you know there's right. no return right. on investment so far right 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 well they got to be that squeaky wheel at the agencies yeah you know i think getting a regular listing on uh seek and juris pro and a few others out there makes sense experts.com is another one um and i also think that more and more experts and physicians who want to go into the expert witness world, they're putting up their own websites and they're creating their own 
hanging out their own shingle in the digital universe, so to speak. Now, as I said before, that's sort of a, you know, you know, hot button item. There is a perception by some doctors and some lawyers that they uh, should not, there should not be advertising for medical expert witness work. An expert should not advertise. And the reason for it is because they will come across as a hired gun. Okay. And, you know, that may be that, that may be, but the fact is, and I've kind of come a long way to this position is that we live in a digital age. And if you want lawyers to find you, you need to participate in the digital universe in some way. And sometimes it's not enough just being with three expert agencies. Sometimes it's not enough being on two or three listservs. Sometimes if you really want to make an investment, you need to go ahead and you need to invest in a website and a consultant who's really good at building them. Uh, and then you'll need to go ahead and make sure you have the proper search engine optimization and you have to work with a consultant to do that and maybe even explore the concept of Google AdWords, things of that nature. There are a lot of doctors who are doing this right now yeah. and they're getting a lot of business and it's, it's a bigger commitment. And the other one to think about is also LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is just an incredible resource. It's an incredible resource. And if you put expert witness in your bio line, or, you know, there's so many form fields in, in, in LinkedIn these days, it's hard to remember what they all mean. But if you put expert witness in there, or expert consultant, when lawyers and insurance companies are searching for new experts, and believe me, they go to LinkedIn a lot, and they put an ENT, and in your case, and expert witness in a certain location, you're going to come up in that algorithm and in that result field. And that can be very helpful too. So it's become very, very uh, crowded field. There's a lot of people in it. Uh, I would just repeat again with the agencies, a squeaky wheel often gets, you know, gets the, the attention. Um, and you have to be persistent. You have to be persistent. And you need to be in all these places almost at once, sometimes to get noticed. You know, younger and younger people and associates are in law firms and, and they're going to Google to find the experts. They're not talking to the guy down the hall. They just are. And uh, it's, it's something to think about. And for those who feel that they will be impeached by the fact that they advertise, who doesn't advertise? Why shouldn't a doctor advertise? And you know what? If you decide not to advertise and you get up on the stand and you're going to be cross-examined, you're going to be impeached potentially impeach anyway, or have a very tough time on something else the defense attorney or the plaintiff's attorney finds. So I think the time has come to sort of pull back, uh, you know, sort of pull back the curtain and forget this whole taboo about putting up websites uh, to advertise expert witness work. I think the thing to remember is that they have to be done in such a way that they're informational and you know they're not perceived as someone being an ex you know being a hired gun so there's a lot of experts out there who who have done it and they've done it very successfully i love it i love it so i'm going to be you know coming to you for retainer agreement and uh helping me review my eno insurance make sure it's got everything that I need in it. And now that I know where to find more work, the next thing that's going to happen, I'm going to get some work. 
And I'm going to find that nerve-wracking and overwhelming. And that'll be the next episode. <laughs> the nerve-wracking and overwhelming. Well, you already had Amy Fogelman on, and you know, training is a great topic, too. And I know you talked with her about that. So that's really important as well, too, for folks who are new to this business. So, And she does a great job. So one more time. So last time we spoke, your website wasn't up yet. Now it is. So where can we find you? Where can we find you on uh, on your website and online in general? Yeah, sandmanlegal.com. We're up. We're, we're out there. Uh, I put up a website, but I'm not a hired gun. So <laughs> it's out there for everyone to find. You can email me at dan at sandmanlegal.com. Always happy to talk. And uh, that's really the best way to reach out. Always a pleasure. Always very interesting and very informative. Dan, thank you so much. Brad, thank you. All the best. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.